This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24. He's back in the saddle with two young uh, girls in tow uh, at the home office in Madison, Wisconsin. I can't wait to hear what the update is in that regard, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, everything's uh, everything's going well. Uh, got uh, an almost three-year-old in the house, and then uh, about a month old. So um, pretty pretty far apart. Uh, not too far apart. No. Close close enough without being uh, too close. So yeah, having having fun, um, spending lots of time with with both kiddos. Uh, it's definitely tricky to to do some work. Sometime I've had to basically confine myself to our bedroom. Uh, so, cause there's a door that'll close so that the, the toddler's not, uh, right. all over me while I'm trying to work, but no, it's great to have the extra time to, to be home with, uh, with the newborn and, and with our, uh, our older daughter as well. Cool. AJ, why don't you remind our listeners then about, uh, throwing questions our way, even while the games are not being played these days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, as we say every week, if you have questions about, about hockey in any kind of variety, um, we're, we're happy to answer, answer those questions and engage with you on Twitter. You know, we've uh, talked a little bit about, uh, you know, a couple different topics in our shows. If you want to chime in, ask us questions about that. If you want to suggest topics for, for another week, if, uh, if you want to suggest a draft year you would like to see us uh, take a crack at, we are more than willing uh, to listen to those ideas. So uh, you can follow me at AJ Scholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right. On today's show, we're going to kick it off with a look at AJ's series of columns, all focusing on the drafting of the new Seattle franchise's roster. Of what you've chosen to do, AJ, as I understand it, is go through each division and see what each of the NHL teams might protect in terms of the formatting. We'll go through that in a few minutes off the top. But later on, we're also going to talk about projected NHL award winners, should this season be ended right now. 
And finally, we're going to talk about a redraft of the 2010 amateur draft using Hockey DB as our basis, where AJ and I will alternate picks in a 10-round format based on the players that were selected in that amateur draft. So right off the top, AJ, why don't you uh, lead us into a discussion of your hockey columns, and we'll talk about the expansion draft rules, and then let's go through the teams. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, today, later today, we will launch the second part of my uh, five-part series here on the NHL uh, Seattle expansion draft. And so as you mentioned, uh, each of the next couple of weeks, I will do uh, a column every week that uh, goes through each division and the teams that will be protected as I see it in those uh, in those divisions from each of those teams. And then the final week, we'll look at the player pool that is remaining and I will draft uh, an NHL Seattle team and we'll take a look at what that looks like. Um, and I'm really excited to do it. Now, of course, I don't want to tip my hand too much. So uh, look for the Central Division article to drop later today. But last week, uh, the first part of that series was released uh, last week, Tuesday, looking at the Pacific Division. So I decided to start out west. I feel like, uh, you know, everything always starts in the Eastern Conference and then eventually, uh, you know, commentators, ourselves included, get to the Pacific. So I decided to flip it up and start with the Pacific. Now, a couple of things to consider here. If you haven't read the article, I definitely encourage you to do so. Uh, but uh, in terms of how these decisions are made, so first off, we're using Cat Friendly's Seattle expansion draft uh, tool on their site. It's a great tool, uh, really complete knowledge of, of what everything looks like. There are certain requirements that we're just not going to be able to meet a year out. Um, there are a certain number of players that you have to expose who have met uh, requirements in terms of contracts, games played in the NHL, and that kind of stuff. And really, we can't dive into that too much. The other thing is obviously no movement clauses. And as Paul pointed out today, if you look at Ryan Get, uh, Getzlaff's contract, he is technically on a no movement clause, but his deal expires in uh, the end of 2021. So heading into the the uh, into that draft in July of 2021, he technically wouldn't be on a no movement clause anymore. He'd be unsigned or, or some other. Maybe they'll have signed him to something else. So we have to go as contracts will look as best as we can at that time. So for this purpose. We're going to assume that Getzlaff is not on a no-movement clause heading into that. So without further ado, I think that covers most of the bases in terms of uh, kind of rules and regulations. Uh, all the teams have kind of really two options, and, and they're formatted differently. But one is seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie. That's probably the most common that we'll see because it allows you to protect 10 skaters. The other option is to protect eight skaters. And most commonly what you see here is that it ends up being the handful of teams that want to protect a fourth defenseman. Um, that's really how it worked uh, when uh, the Vegas expansion draft happens, and I expect we'll see pretty much the same. So we'll go from there. Looking at Anaheim, we don't have, as I mentioned, looking forward, we don't have under, any players under no movement clause. For my money, here are the guys that I think are going to be protected. I think it's still John Gibson is their guy there. Uh, no reason not to, uh, to be to be perfectly honest. Defenseman, I like Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, and Josh Manson as, as the three guys there. Manson, really an up-and-coming uh, player. I think Michael Delzato could be in the mix there as well. And then your forward complement, I leaned heavily on younger guys here, and that's mostly because uh, this is a team that's trying to retool. So, uh, Getzloff, I did still include him, Adam Henrique, and then uh, 
Jakob Silverberg, Rick, Ricard Raquel, Danton Heinen, Troy Terry, and Sam Steele. I mentioned in the article, uh, maybe Paul wants to talk about a couple of these guys, but there are a few other names that could be in the mix after another year of NHL play. Um, but the guys' biggest names you'll see that I've left off because they're rebuilding are guys like Ryan Kessler, David Backus, and Patrick Eves. I don't see them protecting those guys heading into it. Paul, what's your take on the uh, the Anaheim Ducks in terms of preparing for this draft? Yeah, I think you're right on in terms of avoiding the older guys. I, I think I have a lot of trouble including a guy like a Ryan Getzlaff just because he'd be 34 years of age at that time according to this schedule. So I like the lean that you've taken. And Adam had Henrique certainly helped his profile this past season with a very nice year offensively to give me more confidence to include a guy like him. Jakob Silverberg is a guy that has been a strong uh, top six player for them for a couple of years. Raquel seems to have found his groove out there. And Danton Heinen, there's a bit of a question mark for me on around him, AJ, just because he has never really fulfilled the expectations that I've had of him. So I might flip Sonny Milano into that mix. He fits into the same profile, actually, as a guy who has tons of offensive skill, just hasn't had a chance to show it. He had a bit of a, a stretch here with Anaheim since he was added to the squad here in a, in a late season transaction before things went south for the league. But So that's the one guy that I look at. And maybe Max Jones is another guy that could be in the mix if they want to go much younger for another guy who has an upside that I think is untapped. So I think you got it right in this case, AJ, So for the most part, but uh, throw a couple of wrenches your way uh, as considerations. Uh, so take us through the next club that's on your list. Yeah, so Arizona Coyotes will look at next year. Your no-movement clauses here are Phil Kessel, Oliver ekman Larson. I don't think there's any scenario where they wouldn't have protected those guys anyway. Now, I think by the time we actually get to the draft, regardless of if it's Arizona or somebody else, Taylor Hall will almost certainly have a no-movement clause built into his contract. So really, uh, I think if Arizona resigns him, you're looking at three players uh, by this time, uh, by July of 2021, that'll have no movement clauses. In terms of the net mining, I like Darcy Kemper as the net miner here. I think he's done a really good job the last uh, year, year and a half, two years. Uh, and Anthony Ranta's just been too injury prone that, that I just, uh, if I were running that organization, I would be too concerned about using my one net miner protection against him. Uh, in terms of the blue line, in addition to OEL, uh, Jacob Chisharin, I think, is the other one. And then Jordan Osterley. Um, Chisharin won't come as a surprise, obviously, but I think some people will certainly look at keeping Osterley over Goligoski or uh, Jarmelson. Jarmelson, rather, uh, would certainly raise some eyebrows. But the latter two guys are carrying big cap hits. They're in their mid-30s. Um, and so this would be a good opportunity for them to maybe dump some of that cap uh, carrying uh, cap load rather and keep Osterley, who's a solid 20 point producer forward grouping. I mentioned Phil Kessel, Taylor Hall. I think they stick with some of some of the basic core that they had this year. Derek Stepan, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Devorak, Clayton Keller and Connor Garland is one player that I really like here. Um, I think the, the biggest absence you'll see from this list is Carl Soderberg. But if you look at his age, he's really getting, you know, getting into the back half of the 30s here. And I think there's not necessarily a reason to keep him around, especially at the you know flip side of potentially exposing a player like Garland or Dvorak, uh, all, you know, all of which were top point producers for the Coyotes this season. Okay, AJ, you went through that one kind of quickly. I'm going to ask you to confirm. Do you have Lawson Krauss and Vinny Enestros on that list? 
I do not. I have okay. Larson Kraus as as an exposed player. All right. Um, I, think, a, a, well. I was just going to say those two names. Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to catch those two names as two guys that I would like to see in the mix that I would protect. I agree with every other pick that you made there. I like Garland as a feisty guy with an offensive upside. Clayton Keller is a, maybe the most skilled offensive player that they have here. Only 21 years of age today. He'll be 23 by the time this draft rolls around. Taylor Hall's the question mark for me. We don't know if he's going to be protected or not, AJ, but projecting the talent level that this guy has, if they can retain him, he's going to be the centerpiece of this team for years to come. So definitely that situation will, will be a, play a large role in, in uh, the formation of the eight-man unit they put out in addition to the goalies. And uh, Christian Dvorak, Dvorak is a guy that should be a solid top six player in this franchise for years to come. So they have a number of young players to pick from, maybe too many that give them pause for concern. Uh, you can't protect them all, uh, so they might have, a, have to expose a couple of talented players. I think Seattle's going to come out with a real good player off this roster, no matter what they do, unless they work some side deals. And we haven't even talked about that, AJ. Look at the experience that Las Vegas had. They traded so many uh, traded for so many picks so that teams could protect other players and that's another way that we could for- forecast that the Seattle team gets built so uh, let's let's not uh, forget about that possibility when we're looking uh, through the rest of these teams and say you know if they have nine or ten or eleven really good quality players we could cite them as teams that would make a draft pick deal to keep some of those other players away from the the uh, grasp of the Seattle management team. I certainly certainly agree with you there, Paul. You know, I, I do think we're going to see less moves this time around. I, I do feel like teams felt uh, by at the end of the day, I think they felt uh, maybe they got a little fleeced uh, by by right. Vegas there and, and maybe uh, gave up too much to protect players that were likely going to be taken anyway. And I, I think that's a great point about Kraus and Henestrosa. But uh, the, the question mark there is who do you expose to keep one of those guys? Right. And I I just don't see it. Um, you know, maybe the most likely um, to flip for one of those guys is, you know, maybe Derek Stepan, if mm-hmm. only because he's the highest paid guy on that list right now. Right. Um, so maybe that's the only one there. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll continue on here. I'll slow it down a little bit so I don't cruise through it too fast. We'll look at the Calgary frame Flames, the biggest uh, you know, roadblock here for the Flames right off the bat is technically Milan Lucic has a no movement clause here. Now I would imagine you mentioned deals and stuff like that. I would imagine that there's something that can be worked out here uh, and they'll potentially try and move him either ahead of next season or ask him to waive his no movement clause. And maybe he'd be willing to go to Seattle and, and uh, you know, as part of a, a deal, a package there, not that Seattle necessarily would want him, but maybe they could negotiate something there. So unfortunately we have to work with what we have. So for now, um, we're going to be under the assumption that they are going to have to protect uh, Milan Lucic. In terms of the net mining, I think it's pretty straightforward that David Riddich is the guy that you'll keep. Cam Talbot did steal a couple starts away from Riddich down the stretch here before the lockout, but ultimately Riddich is your guy moving forward. On the blue line, this is where things are going to get controversial, and Paul, I'll let you uh, chime in here once I once I run through this, but for my money as it stands right now, with them going 7-3-1, uh, I think they go Hannafin, Brody, and Hamannick. I think they leave Mark Giordano off their protected list. You look another year out, Giordano's going to be 37 years old. He's making $6.75 million against the cap. 
he had a, a pretty down season this year, just 31 points prior to the shutdown, which is going to be his lowest point total since the 2012-13 lockout uh, season. So I, I think they have too many forwards to that they have to protect that they're only going to be able to go three defensemen instead of four. And I think that leaves Giordano uh, as the veteran guy out. Now, obviously, if Lucic isn't part of this, then maybe things change around. But in terms of the forward complement, you're not giving up really any of these guys. So you kind of have to do the math. If you wanted to keep a fourth defenseman, then you only get to keep four forwards. And if you're stuck with Lucic, you're not giving up to Chuck, Johnny Gaudreau, or Sean Monahan, and I don't think Elias Lindholm uh, and Andrew Mangiapane are worth losing uh, a guy uh, like, you know, I'd rather have them, multiple players on the forward side, than Mark Giordano, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So forwards to Chuck, Gaudreau, Monahan, Lindholm, all locks alongside with, unfortunately, Lucic. And I think Andrew Mangiapane is probably the biggest question mark, but I think I would keep him there. Yeah, that's that's a tough call for them. They've also been waiting on Mark Jankowski, but he's 25 years old. He'd be 26 then and really hasn't shown enough for me. The other guy that you didn't mention is Sam Bennett, uh, only 23 years old. He's coming out of an RFA contract situation in 2021. I think that's another guy that could be in the mix for consideration. And on defense, we didn't even talk about Eric Gustafsson. This guy's a year away from the 60-point season he had with Chicago last year. He kind of regressed again this year, AJ. But if there's something really there in terms of an offensive upside, could be a real nice opportunity for Seattle to look to him to be potentially their power play quarterback. So a uh, wealth of options for Calgary to consider in terms of coming up with their list. I think you're right on with the point about Mark Giordano being 37, 38 almost when uh, when this draft rolls around. So he'll be right at the end of the, the road in terms of his career path, I think, and uh, could easily be left off the, the protected list here. And they might let him do another victory, a victory lap season in Calgary at the tail end of his career. The, the, the Flames are also blessed in net in terms of the goalie depth in their organization. John Gillies and Tyler Parsons are two guys that they still think could be factors in the mix here, if, even if they lose Cam Talbot. It'll be one of those guys that slides into the backup goalie role. So uh, really tough decision here for the Calgary Flames, in my opinion. Yeah, so we'll move on uh, from there to the Edmonton Oilers. And this is the first team that I'm projecting, at least, to go with a 4-4-1 split here. Now, surprisingly, uh, they do not have any no-movement clauses uh, kicked <laughs> in here. So, um, But essentially, uh, they've got a couple. Uh, we know that. We'll start with the net mining. I think Miko Koskinen is the best choice that they have right now. We will obviously see what uh, shakes out over the course of next season, whether they bring in another netminder, whether they give some some youngsters like Shane Starrett uh, a look, but they're definitely not going to keep Mike Smith. Um, so for now, I think Miko Koskinen <clears throat> is the guy that you would pick. In terms of defense, I think there's just four guys that they really have uh, that are that are great players here, and, and that's why I go this route. It's Oscar Clefbaum, Adam Larson, Darnell Nurse, and then the youngster, Ethan Bear. And I think nobody will really argue in terms of Clefbaum and Nurse and uh, in, in Adam Larson. I could see a case being made that his 4.17-ish uh, million cap hit is, is a little too much to warrant keeping him around. But replacing him with a shutdown right-handed defender certainly isn't easy. Though I will throw out there that Caleb Jones, if he continues his current trajectory, could be an option for them to keep him over Larson. Um, but I still think ultimately that they'll go for defensemen, regardless of whether it's Larson or Jones there. 
forward group, uh, obviously Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I think, are, are all locks uh, pretty much to be in this complement. I think the fourth guy for me is Andreas Athanasiu. And yes, it's a question mark. He's only recently joined the team. The other player I would potentially put in the mix is Zach Cassian. But the fact of the matter is they gave up too much, in my opinion, to bring in Athanasiu to let him walk uh, just two years down the road. Now, obviously, that all depends on how his contract breaks out this season. Paul, what do you think of the Edmonton Oilers? Do you like the 4-4 option here? Do you think there's some forwards that they they should keep and let some of those defensemen walk? You know what? I agree with every pick that you made here, but the cause for concern you raised on defense is Caleb Jones. For me, that could be a real coin flip between him and Larson. If they want to go younger there, I think that's that's definitely a strong consideration. Up front, the concern for me is that they lose the toughness of Zach Cassian, a central role in their top six players. He could reprise that just in the same way Ryan Reeves did it in Las Vegas. And look how successful he's been with that transition over there. And I like... uh the fact that, well, uh, I like for the fact for Seattle, they could also look at a guy like Jujar Kyra as another guy, a reasonably uh, good forward that could be a compliment to their top six uh, in the right situation. You didn't even mention Kyler Yamamoto, AJ, AJ, and that's another guy, only 21 years old. Boy, he's got a lot of runway left in his career, and he's had a really nice start here. But you, you mentioned if they go four and four, I don't know how you uh, avoid keeping Athanasiu ahead of Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, Athanasiu has shown more in the early trajectory of his career, and most of that was with Detroit. He's in a much better situation now and has a real high upside in terms of being a scoring talent. If they go 5-3-1, and one, I think Yamamoto is the fifth, and they might sacrifice Larson on defense. So a tough, a tough call there for me uh, in this situation for Edmonton once again. Yeah, I mean, there are, uh, at the end of the day, really no easy decisions. And we'll get to one right away here again with the Los Angeles Kings. Now, their no-movement clause uh, is Drew Doughty here. Uh, look, he was going to be pr- protected anyway. The no-movement clause doesn't really matter here. Um, you know, he's kind of the linchpin of, of their defense um, and is what kind of going to be one of the players that they build around as, as they, you know, retool everything. In terms of net minding, here's where the tough decision comes. And I have them protecting Cal Patterson. I think he's um, on, a, on a better trajectory. For the second straight year, you're looking at Jonathan Quick failing to reach that 20-win mark. I get that it's not uh, all his fault. The team around him has really struggled. But uh, Cal Patterson is a younger, up-and-coming prospect uh, netminder that they really need to give an opportunity here. The fact of the matter, though, is Quick's cap hit isn't outrageous. It's only $5.8 million, um, but I think if you're going to go all in, uh, you know, you have to really consider making tough, difficult choices as part of a rebuild, and I think it starts in the nets here. Um, I would... I would throw this out there and and I'll see when I get to my breakdown. I haven't made those decisions yet, but there's a good chance when I'm selecting off of this team that I take either uh, Cal Patterson or Jonathan Quick if I if I were running Seattle. So in this case, um, Quick, five point eight million against the cap has a a pedigree of of winning in the past and could be a really good option uh, for Seattle if if they do, do go this route. But conversely, if they protected Jonathan Quick and I'm running Seattle, I would probably snatch up Cal Pedersen as well as a you know a nice developmental guy here. So um, we'll move on to the the defenseman. I did talk about Dowdy. I think your other two options are Ben Hutton and Sean Walker. Walker 
having really a breakout season for him. And Hutton has been the kind of solid shutdown defender, allowing Dowdy to do his thing. But really, this is the weak point of this team. And really, there were not a whole lot of other options here to even consider, uh, in my opinion, players that they would have kept anyway. So it allows them to keep a young forward group. And there are some big decisions here made as well. Obviously, Anze Kopitar is sticking around. Alex Iafalo. I like Adrian Kempe. Uh, the the young prospect coming up, Carl Grundstrom, Blake Lazat, Martin Furk, and Michael Am- uh, Amadio. Uh, and that means that you're leaving Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter exposed in favor of some of these other young guys. There's also a group of uh, NHL experienced guys here that they have that I think uh, you're kind of choosing between. Uh, Trevor Lewis, Austin Wagner, they're kind of the same player as Amado. And so I really think you uh, could wrap all them up and go any one of those guys. So that's how I break down the Kings. Paul, what uh, what say you? Well, you started talking about the goalie situation. And, and when you mentioned Jonathan Quick, I thought immediately of Marc-Andre Fleury and how much he has helped uh, Las Vegas w- with an established goalie being the backbone of the team. And, and that's the role that I would see immediately uh, as, a, as an equivalent, a good comparable for Jonathan Quick. Uh, he stands out to me in that regard. Just the reasons you say he might be expendable is because La- Los Angeles is in a rebuild situation. They don't need any a 35-year-old goalie in that mix. So to me, this, uh, this uh, is a great opportunity for Seattle to get off to a good start with a solid net minder. And I, I, I agree with you. Defense is really the sore point with Los Angeles. You mentioned Ben Hutton. Paul Ledoux is a younger, uh, a little, a year older rather, and similar type player. Fewer maybe travel miles on him uh, as he was a late arrival to the NHL. Matt Roy is another guy who showed well a little bit this year. So it could be a case of Roy over Walker and uh, Ledoux over Hutton if if I wanted to be picky. But uh, I think the forward situation, you've also nailed it pretty well. They're lucky that a lot of their exempt players, uh, top uh, skill players that they have available are mostly forwards. Uh, Nikolai Prokorkin at the top of that list. Gabriel Villardi, another one that they can look for as being a part of this rebuild. So I think the the forward depth here in Los Angeles is going to be decent in the near term uh, as they get through the rebuild. It's going to be ahead of the pace of their, de- their, uh, their defense, but uh, uh, they need something uh, to be shown from the likes of Lizotte and Grundstrom. We've seen flashes of it, but no consistency. They're going to get ample opportunity to play top six minutes going forward. Yeah, so we'll move on uh, then to to the San Jose Sharks. And uh, from the, the no-movement clauses, you have Eric Carlson and Mark Edward Vlasic. Uh, obviously, Carlson's recent health concerns, are, uh, health problems are a concern for them, but still an elite offensive producer when he is on the ice. And Vlasic is just two years into that huge eight-year contract he signed with them. So really, uh, I don't think there was a scenario in which either of these guys would have been exposed anyway, but they are technically uh, locks for them. The biggest question, again, comes right away in terms of net minding. Uh, Prior to this season, I would have said Marty Jones is a lock to be their protected net minder. He's consistently playing 60-plus games, consistently racking up wins, even though he does throw out the bad couple of games every now and then. But over the course of this season, he really struggled and it gave Aaron Dell an opportunity. Unfortunately for uh, Sharks fans and for the organization, Dell kind of floundered uh, in those opportunities as well. 
So I think a lot of this is going to be determined by the 2020-21 campaign and to see which guy can really uh, pull it together here. But I think ultimately, based on experience, you have to go with Martin Jones. Uh, he's still in his 20s uh, and, and a great netminder for them. Actually, he might be 30 now, actually. So he's just getting in into the 30s. So on defense, I mentioned Carlson, Blasic, and then Brent Burns, I think, is your third guy here. Yes, he's getting up there into the back half of the 30s, $8 million cap hit, um, but he's still... Uh, I think a a solid face of their franchise and a solid point producer. Um, My alternative, if you are looking for somebody else, would probably be Tim Heed, but you're not going to replace the offensive upside of Brent Burns, and and I just don't see them doing it. In terms of the forward group here, uh, it's basically going to be a handful of names that you would consider locks anyway. Logan Couture is not going anywhere. Evander Kane, Timo Meyer. Tomas Hurdle, Kevin LeBanc, I think, are all uh, locks. And from there, it gets a little bit of a, of a question mark here in, in terms of other options. Um, I think Marcus Sorensen is a, is a viable candidate here uh, to be on that list. He's you know 27 years of age, carries a kind of minimal cap hit. I do think he's going to have to pay up a little bit uh, more for that. He has a contract coming up. The surprise name, I think, uh, that most people who read the article will see is Jonathan Dolan. Uh, he's a 22-year-old player, racked up, uh, you know, 36 goals, 41 helpers, playing overseas this last year, and I think he's just too good of a prospect to really leave out there and exposed in the draft. If if I'm again, if I'm running the organization here, I'd rather lose uh, a Melker Carlson or uh, a Dylan Gambrill, Ante Sumela. I'd rather lose one of those guys. Uh, than, than a top prospect like like Dolan. So that's uh, where I went with the Ford group. The other name you'll obviously see missing is Joe Thornton. Uh, he's 40. He has talked about being ready and willing to play one more, you know, another year here. But at some point, Father Time always wins. And I would expect that they're not going to waste a protected pick on a 41-year-old Jumbo Joe. Okay, I'm going to start with a goalie situation, and I'm looking at the contracts uh, for Marty Jones, AJ, and that's why I think they're going to lean to holding on to protecting Aaron Dell because I don't think uh, the expansion team is going to look at the up-and-down uh, last couple of years of Marty Jones and want to pay $5.7 million for two or three seasons of that act. So I think they'll, they could consider going cheaper if Dell's available. I think he's another guy that, they, that the, fran- the expansion franchise will look at. So I would, if I were uh, San Jose, I'm saying I would protect Dell in that case. On defense, I like Tim Heed instead of Brent Burns, and I'll make the case here, AJ. That contract, $8 million a season through the 2025 year, uh, uh, season, uh, this is going to be a guy who's going to be uh, uh, close to 40 years of age. I've seen a little bit of regression in Burns' game uh, in the past season, AJ, and on a team like uh, us, an expansion team, he's going to be exposed defensively more than he was in San Jose up till last season, and I think you started to see that in his game a little bit as well, even last year with, with this club in California. So I, I would suggest that they go a little bit younger in terms of uh, protecting heed and if if the expansion team wants to blow their brains out on eight million dollars on an aging defenseman i say let them go ahead uh, i like the calls you made on the offensive side of the puck and i agree with all of them uh, dylan gambrell might be the only guy i try to squeeze in there at the expense of a guy like marcus Sorensen, who is five years older so yeah, we'll dive in then to our last team here. And I do, uh, you know, before we have people writing in, 
uh, Seattle or uh, rather Vegas is exempt from the Seattle uh, expansion draft, which when they made that call, I, I, I originally thought it was the right decision because we expected Vegas to have some growing pains right out the gate, but that didn't happen. And the fact that this is a good team, I do think uh, it, it really benefits them not to have to make these tough choices and, and lose a player. Now they don't get part of the expansion fee, so they're not getting any of the money um, for Seattle coming in. But I do think uh, originally probably a good idea uh, not to have them give up a player. But at this point with how good they were, um, I would have liked to see that decision maybe revisited, share share that uh, financial gain with them and, and have them expose a player. But the rules are what the rules are. So we'll look at our last team here in the Pacific, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh no, uh, no locked-in players from from no movement clauses here. So, uh, netminder, I like Thatcher Demko here. Um, doesn't have uh, a ton of experience. Did get into 27 games this last season, and it does seem like the organization's trying to move towards him uh, as their future netminder. But all of this will depend on what they do this offseason in terms of Jacob Markstrom. If they re-sign Markstrom, then then I think this changes the equation here. So we'll really be able to tell, I think, based on what sort of contract Markstrom gets this season or this offseason, rather, whether or not they are going to make the move long term to, to Thatcher Demko here. Um, but I think for now, looking at how it is, I think that's the right choice uh, for their long term future. It's a young team. So bringing in a bringing in a youngster like Demko to build around with the rest of the organization, I think, is the right call in terms of protected defensemen. I'm looking at Alexander Edler, Tyler Myers, and Troy Stretcher as your three defended defensemen. And I know what you're saying. You're thinking, AJ, you're insane. What about Quinn Hughes? Well, fortunately for uh, the Vancouver Canucks, Quinn Hughes hasn't played long enough in the professional ranks that he's actually exempt from being taken in this draft. And that's a huge boon for this club because uh, if they did have to protect Hughes as well, I think you're looking at them going a 4-4-1 option here. Instead, they can go 7-3-1, keep uh, an additional couple of forwards here. And I do think it's a it's a big, uh, big kind of uh, gain that they find themselves in. In terms of that forward complement, again, there's not a lot of like real tough uh, – Tough question marks here for me. Uh, I like Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, obviously Jake Vertanen, uh, Tanner Pearson. My one wild card is is Tyler Toffoli, and he's the one that I have locked in right now. Um, but I think there could be an argument made to see Adam Gaudet in the mix here, uh, in part because Gaudet plays center. Um, Toffoli is more seasoned, but I think depending on what happens next year, Gaudet will have an opportunity to make his case to be part of this long-term core of young up-and-comers in Vancouver. You know what? I I love Tyler Toffoli, the addition there. So I definitely see him being a part of that mix, AJ. And I think they have to think long and hard about Michael Furland as well. He's another guy that adds a lot of toughness. If he can get, he can be considered healthy by that time. He had a bit up up and time up and down season this year in in terms of staying healthy and in the lineup, but. When he's there, he contributes uh, a nice uh, collection of skills that is rare uh, on most rosters. And that's why I think that, that there's a long and hard thought process required when you consider his situation. On the defensive side of the puck, I wonder what they do about Chris Tanev, a very useful defensive defenseman with some offensive skill uh, to 
bring experience to uh, an expansion franchise. I could see him being a real centerpiece if he is allowed to escape. And, and then a younger prospect, we talked about him actually a couple of weeks ago, Oli Uolivi, only 21 years of age right now. He'd be 22. He had a great junior career in London, just really hasn't found his game at the NHL level yet. So if there's a team willing to take a chance on a prospect with uh, what I think is still a high upside, that might be a guy that the Seattle franchise looks at. And you highlighted the goalie situation. No matter which way this Vancouver team goes, I think they expose a goalie of some quality that that is, again, somebody that Seattle has to take a long, hard look at. For my money, though, I think Jacob Markstrom's the guy that Vancouver has to lock up and hold on to. He made a quantum leap in terms of coming in to, I think, uh, being a top 10 goalie in the NHL this season, and I see no reason why they wouldn't sign him to at least a four- or five-year contract and peg him as their goalie of the few, uh, of the next few years, leaving Demko exposed in, in that situation. So I could see at the end of the day a Demko quick goaltending tandem in the Seattle franchise, and that wouldn't be too bad to me. So I guess, AJ, we've gone through the, the all the clubs, and uh, let's now turn our attention to projecting NHL award winners. Are you re- ready to go on this one with me? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just throw out there again, just a reminder, um, check out the the Pacific article here that we just kind of ran through. Um, there's obviously we didn't talk about everything that I that I put in that uh, that article there. And then uh, the other one, the Central Division article will drop later today. Just waiting on uh, on editing there from uh, from our team at, at Rotowire HQ. So look out for that later today and dive right in. And I would love to see your comments and questions either at the bottom of the article uh, on rotowire or uh, feel free to hit up paul and i on social media as well all right let's take our listeners through a list of the projected award winners uh should the season be declared over and i think it will be soon aj in my heart of hearts i really see that happening so we'll go based on what has happened season to date to award the following uh, trophies. We're going to start off with the Art Ross Trophy. Leon Dreisaitl, to me, an outstanding season. This one's automatic. He was the leading scorer in the NHL when uh, things broke down. So he gets the uh, hardware there to lead the league. And it leads me into the discussion, and we can start in terms of uh, some unknowns, uh, some of the other trophy winners' possibilities. The Hart Trophy, the league's MVP. I'm including Dreisaitl, McKinnon, and Panarin as my three guys that are eligible, uh, most eligible for this award. Panarin gets included for me because the Rangers simply were not expected to be a competitive team this year, in my opinion. They were in a rebuild, but this guy reprised the, the role that he's had throughout his career, being a top scorer in this league and really leading this team to some excellent success on the ice that was kind of unexpected. The same can be said for Nate McKinnon, who had an outstanding season and in the face of a lot of injuries among his teammates, shone brightly and, and was one of the top scorers in the league. And then, of course, you have to include Leon Dreisaitl in the mix not only for being the leading scorer in the league, but for carrying this club sometimes when when uh, Connor McDavid was a little bit on a limp and maybe not even in the lineup on a, on a consistent basis. So those are my three picks, AJ. And I give the nod to Nate McKinnon in this case for dragging a team that was injury plagued all season long to the top of near the top of his division and a certain playoff spot that in some quarters was a little bit unexpected. Do you agree with these three players or and, and my ultimate pick, or do you have other choices that you would like us to consider? 
Yeah, so I think the the three finalists here that that you've identified, I think, are the right guys, and and I absolutely agree with those those three choices. For me, um, I'm going to go with Artemi Panarin instead, and here here's why. If you look at the wording for the Hart Memorial Trophy, the player judged most valuable to his team. I think, unfortunately for Drysaddle, that kind of rules him out because. He has Nathan McKinnon, yes, or I'm sorry, he has Connor McDavid, rather. Could you imagine if he had Nathan McKinnon, too? Um, <laughs> he's got uh, McDavid on his team, and so the two of them, I, I think, actually hurt each other in terms of being awarded uh, this trophy. McKinnon, I totally agree, and, and I originally was thinking I, I would pick him, um, but you know, again, yes, he dealt with injuries to Landis Gog and Rantanen, but those guys did play significant portions of the, the season. So the player that I feel was most, uh, <clears throat> you know, valuable to his team is Artemi Panarin because there just wasn't as much talent around him. And I think he more than the others really dragged uh, that Rangers team into being a, a contender down the stretch. So um, for me, I, I would side with Artemi Panarin here. Okay, the Norris Trophy for the best defenseman in the league. I, I gave up with the following three names. Victor Hedman, John Carlson, and Roman Yossi. Uh, when I look at the stats, Carlson leads the, the three guys in terms of scoring. He led the league in terms of defenseman scoring. Yossi was second. Hedman was third. Hedman, though, has a higher plus-minus than the other three guys. So, uh, you know what? You can make a case for any of the three. I wound up making a case for Jos- uh, Roman Yossi, who was second in both ca- categories in terms of the points and plus-minus. So uh, I don't think you go go wrong with picking any of the three. But for me, Roman Yossi was coming on as the season was winding down and closed the gap between him and Carlson that we thought Carlson was home and cooled out very early in the season. We talked about that until December in those terms, you and I, AJ. But I think Yossi did enough to close that gap and maybe even surpass him, in my opinion. So he gets my nod as the Norris Trophy defenseman. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right on here in terms of of the guys to be considered for this list. Um, And and you make a a pretty good case for for Roman Yossi there being in the middle of the the mix here. I'm still going to go with John Carlson. and, And part of the reason is his plus minus is certainly affected by the fact that he's so productive on the power play. Those 26 points he uh, contributed on the power play, those don't factor into plus minus uh, when you're when you're on the power play. So the fact that he's still a plus player at, at even strength uh, essentially has, leads uh, the defenseman with 75 points, I think, ultimately. Uh, that's why I landed on, on Carlson here as, as the winner. In the Nets, I picked the following three goalies. Uh, Connor Hallibuck for Winnipeg, Andre Vasilevsky for Tampa, and Jordan Binnington for the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Uh, you look at the stats and you say Connor Hallibuck with a save percentage of 92.2% led the three guys, and he also led them in uh, was second in wins to Vasilevsky's 35 wins. I would certainly say Vasilevsky benefited from being on the better team. And Bennington on the Stanley Cup champions was well protected as well. I think Connor Hallibuck wins this in a landslide, AJ, for me, because he dragged this team despite a nondescript defense and a lot of turmoil early on. And they were looking like they were going to make the postseason. And if they did, it was all on him. Uh, the numbers are there to suggest that the goals against average was within a heartbeat of one another. One uh, percent is the difference between all three of them. But it's the save percentage that really tells the story here for me. And Connor, Connor Hallibuck, I think, is the easy winner of this trophy. 
Absolutely agree with you there, Paul. And you don't even mention the fact that he led the league in shutouts with six this season. Uh, really the best uh, the best netminder uh, all season long. And I, I really think um, they would have relied on him very heavily down the stretch to the point where, yes, 31 wins with only like, what, 14 games left. But uh, it wouldn't have been outside the realm of possibility for him to start almost all of those and really push this uh, push his win total up towards the the 40 win mark if if the season uh, had the regular season had continued there so i think you're absolutely right uh hell you buck uh, in a landslide here all right let's go next to the calder trophy and this is the rookie of the year uh, you mentioned quinn hughes earlier on exempt from the seattle expansion draft there's no way no how that vancouver would let him escape uh without any kind of a uh, an attempt to sign him to a big deal between now and then if it was necessary but it won't be Quinn Hughes for me 53 points in 68 games played an outstanding season offensively but at minus 10 causes a bit of a, a spocky and eyebrow to be raised in this corner Kale McCarr 50 points he came out of the gate on fire only played 57 games because he dealt with some injury woes was a plus 10 in that stretch and then I took a look at Dominic Kubalik in the Chicago situation he notched 30 goals as a forward and 16 assists was a plus two in 68 games played so two defensemen and one forward in the mix for me Kale McCarr gets the nod over uh, a narrow win over Quinn Hughes in my estimation it's the hardest position to make a jump directly into the NHL but these two young certainly look like they're going to they did it and they're going to be around for a long long time vying for the top defenseman role in the league for years to come in my estimation so in a coin flip I I picked Kale McCarr over Quinn Hughes so I think if we were talking about the Norris trophy here and and discussing these two guys I think I would agree with you and and Kale McCarr is my pick uh, because of that plus minus but we're not we're talking about the best rookie player here um, and the fact that he played 10 more games than, than McCarr and uh, put up some more points. I, I think for me, I'm going to tip uh, the the coin flip, as you said, to, to Quinn Hughes in this case. Again, if we were talking best defenseman, I worry more about the plus minus here. But overall, I'm going to go with uh, Quinn Hughes for playing uh, kind of those extra games. Really, I think it's a factor uh, here. All right. The Lady Bing, I arbitrarily chose uh, 10 penalty minutes or less to be my my differentiating point when I came up with the names here that I chose you can make a case for uh, including Nate McKinnon if you want to go a little bit higher I think he had like 14 penalty minutes on his ledger but I arbitrarily went that route and that's why I didn't include him I included instead Austin Matthews with 80 points in 70 games played Toivo Teravainen with uh, 63 points in 68 games played and Ryan O'Reilly with 61 points in 71 games played and 10 penalty minutes so uh, I think this is a runaway for uh, Austin Matthews in my estimation based on that arbitrary figure but if they raise the bar and allow uh, Nate McKinnon into the mix then he gets the, the nod so that's my wild card suggestion there it's either McKinnon or or Matthews if if McKinnon is considered yeah I mean for me I I you know in terms of the Lady Bing I think you have to consider the lowest uh penalty minute number so for me uh, it really just comes down to a choice between Matthews and, and Teravainen. And you look at the point totals 
uh, you have to give it to Matthews there as well. So I, I agree with you, Matthews, for Lady Bing. So it wasn't a homer called in. I'm, I feel better than about that, AJ. <laughs> How about the Salki Award? It's been uh, the purview of Patrice Bergeron more often than not. And again, I put him into consideration. Uh, plus 23. He only played 61 games, though, uh, notching 56 points. But he does center that top line in, in hockey. Uh, so you can make a strong case for him. But there are other contenders here that I brought caught, uh, came up with. And uh, again, I invite you to throw in another name if you can find one. But for me, Anthony Sorelli has come from nowhere to become a real serious contender for this award. In fact, he, he raised his offensive game so that he was winding up playing top six minutes even for Tampa in stretches during the course of the season, particularly when Stamkos was out. He recorded an outstanding plus 28 along the way as well. And then my third candidate was Ryan Strom, who had an outstanding season in New York, perhaps because his career best season was in the offing for him. He notched 59 points in 70 games played with a plus 21. I think uh, I'm going to go unpopular here and and take Sorelli over Bergeron in this instance for the trophy. Well, honestly, I think, you know, at some point they have to consider giving it to somebody else. It seems like Bergeron gets it every year. So uh, the fact that Sorelli's plus minus numbers are slightly higher than, than Bergeron here, yes, less points. And an argument, as you said, could be made that Bergeron plays uh, more minutes against top you know, top units here, but I do think they need to consider uh, other options as well. So I agree with you, Anthony Sorelli uh, for the Selkie. Then we go off the ice to consider who were the top coaches in the league this year, AJ, as we wind up our look at the trophy winners that we projected and for the Jack Adams trophy. I give the, a look at the top team in the NHL has to get consideration for their coach, and that's why Bruce Cassidy's in the mix. Craig Berube writing an outstanding story in St. Louis has to be considered as well. But then there's Jared Bednar, who uh, has guided the Colorado Avalanche in the face of a whole raft of injuries toward the top of the NHL standings when in some quarters it wasn't expected. And so for that reason, I give him the Jack Adams trophy. Uh, Do you agree with these three candidates and my pick? Well, you know, there's a there's a guy uh, from Boston who uh, who's coaching in Pittsburgh, who you kind of left off this list, who uh, has led a team through a raft of injuries um, and and certainly I'm, I'm not saying that he necessarily would be the pick, especially when you factor in the Penguins were slumping a little bit before uh, the, the season shut down. But I do think at least for uh, consideration, you have to have Mike Sullivan in there in the mix uh, for that award with everything he did to get that team playing better hockey than they did last year. Uh, and and really uh, going through uh, more injuries than almost any other team in the league. Um in terms of man games lost this season. All right, partner, that takes us to the draft. We've been waiting for this one, and uh, we're going to go a little more formal than we did last week, and we're going to try and redraft the 2010 amateur draft. I'm arbitrarily giving you the first pick in this draft. Where do you start? Uh, Yeah, so, I mean... (laughs) I guess the you know the consideration here is obviously you know in in this case we're picking for for our teams right we're right. not we're not necessarily picking uh, who Edmonton should have taken uh, with the first pick here so for me um, I'm gonna steal a guy from from under your nose here and and it may hurt but I'm gonna take seventh round pick uh, 187th <laughs> overall Freddie Anderson is my first pick I think net mining is a key. Uh, component when building a team and there's uh for my money i don't think there's anybody better netminder uh in in this class i I think he's the best option there and i would argue that there's probably 
Uh, you know, I'd have to look, but I'd be shocked if there's a better netminder that's been selected in the seventh round in the history of the NHL draft. You bugger you. That was a great choice. And it comes with an asterisk, though. Uh, this guy, he was not signed by Carolina when they made this pick, AJ. And he was thrown in it back into the draft two years later and ultimately picked in the first round by Anaheim to complete the rest of that story. So this is a, I'm so happy that you caught this right out of the chute because we're going to discuss it at some point or other. Why not get it out of the way right off the top? You're talking about a guy who career to date ranks among the top five goalies in the history of the game in terms of all-time win percentage and he didn't do it in just one city he's done it in two so i i give you credit for coming up with him at the top of the list but in real in the real world at the time it was taylor or tyler all season long we were hearing one or the other of these two players and so i'm going to take one of them with my first pick i'm going to go with tyler sagan as my first pick in uh, this draft that takes us to the second round and uh, where do you go yeah, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to just follow, you know, you said it was between Tyler and Taylor, so you took uh, Tyler, I will take Taylor uh, and Taylor Hall here with uh, with my next pick there. And I'm going to counter with the tank in St. Louis. Vladimir Tarasenko is my second pick. I'm assuming that he will be healthy going into next season and ready to reprise his almost point per game pace in the last several seasons. So I'm happy to take him. He was picked in the 16th overall by St. Louis in that particular draft. Take me into your third round pick, AJ. Well, I'll let you pick from the top of the draft, Paul. You can select all the, all the first rounders. I'll dive down uh, deep again and go with six round pick, 178th overall, Mark Stone uh, as my next pick. I think uh, his numbers, obviously, maybe not quite as high as, as a few others. He comes in, I believe, seventh overall in terms of career points uh, on this, this 210, uh, 2010 draft, rather. But uh, I, I love his play uh, and his flexibility in terms of where he can line up uh, in, the, in, in the lineup. Well, if you're going to let me continue to take first-rounders, I'm going to go to the defensive side of the puck, and I'm going to take Cam Fowler. To my mind, he was the best defenseman in this draft and went in the first round. A good pick there for me, I think, to grab him at this stage in the draft. And it goes back to you, buddy. Well, you got the second-best defenseman, so I'll tell you who the best one was. And again, I'll go deep in the draft, fifth-round pick, 131st overall, Dallas's John Klingberg. Uh, he may not have quite uh, the same career numbers overall uh, as as Fowler, but he's only trailing him by about 10 points uh, and has significantly less miles on his leg, almost uh, over 250 less games played. So uh, thanks for letting that one drop to me, buddy. Okay, I'm going to counter with a guy who's going to be the heart and soul of my team. It almost pains me to highlight a Habs player, but Montreal didn't have many successful picks in this decade, and you'll find that out when we do some of the other mock drafts, but they did hit a home run in the fifth round of this one, 147th overall. Brendan Gallagher, Gallagher, who has 173 goals, 334 points, and 547 games played. Take me to your fifth round pick. Uh, well, as much as it pains you to take uh, a hab, it will pain me to take a cap. Uh, but I will take Evgeny Kuznetsov. 479 games played, uh, racked up 389 points. Uh, I get that a lot of that has been playing alongside Ovi, but I think even on a team without Ovechkin, Kuznetsov would have been a fantastic player on, uh, in his own right. Love that call, AJ. Great pick. I'm going to counter that one with a guy who had multiple 20-plus 
uh, goal seasons on the island. He was picked 30th overall in that draft year. Brock Nelson, big rangy forward, who's coming into his own right now. I think the best is yet to come for him as a top six forward lock in the Islanders mix going forward. So uh, that's my fifth rounder. Take me into your sixth round pick. Well, I had to get to a Penguins player eventually, and he's having a breakout year this year, um, but really has been a key component of of Pittsburgh's recent uh, championship runs. And so I'll take Brian Rust, who was drafted in the third round, 80th overall. Uh, Yes, the numbers aren't there, but this is a guy that will win battles in the corners for you and, and would pair up well on a top line with, say, Taylor Hall and Mark Stone. And uh, I'm going to look at a guy who was another first-round pick. Uh, There were a lot of good first-round picks in this draft, it turns out, that I'm finding. Kevin Hayes was picked 24th overall by Chicago. He's bounced around a little bit, now winding up in Philadelphia and finding his groove there. I think he's going to be a fixture for a long while as a top-six player, and he really frees them up to get Claude Giroux over to the wing. So... uh, uh, in more than one one or two ways this guy's helped this team out in terms of the way they set up their offense and big rangy pivots are hard to come by with a skill level like his so i'm happy to grab him at this point well and so for me you know we're uh, there aren't a ton of uh, offensively minded uh, blue liners in, in this draft and so uh, i will take the third best guy here uh, in my opinion justin falk who went in the second round 37th overall to to carolina 90 goals uh, in 627 games. And really, I think the, the only other, uh, you know, viable offensive contributor uh, in, in this draft. So I've got two top guys here in, in Klingberg and, and Falk. Well, I got to grab a goalie, don't I? You've got the best one in the draft. I'm going to take the guy who I think is going to be the second one when all things are said and done, and that's going to be Philip Grubauer. He was drafted by the Washington Capitals in the 112th position overall in this draft, but I think he's got a a good trajectory going in his career, and I'm happy to grab him as my goalie, uh, the second best goalie in my opinion in this draft. That's a, I, I will say, Paul, before I go into my next pick, that's an interesting choice when you're, uh, you, when you look at some of the guys that maybe are leaving out there, Peter Morazic, Calvin, uh, Calvin Picard. Uh, I, I think you made the right choice over him. Louis Domingue was in this draft as well. Um, so really, for me, the only player that I would maybe uh, make a case other than Grubauer would be uh, Peter Morazic. But I can't fault you for that choice. Too bad. Uh, we'll go, I'll go take us back to the top of this draft and, and some established players. Uh, I'll go seventh overall pick uh, from Carolina, Jeff Skinner. Uh, yes, a bit of a down year this this past season, but overall a top point producer, and that's why he has uh, logged the third most points of any player uh, in this draft behind Sagan and Hall. AJ, uh, I got to pick a Leaf player here. He's turned out to be a Leaf player anyway. He was drafted by the Florida Panthers in the fifth round, 123rd overall. Zach Hyman, in a limited number of games this year because he was dealing with injuries, already hadn't reached the 20-goal mark. Uh, Sure, people are going to say, yeah, but a a hat full of them are empty netters. Well, he gets on the ice in that situation because of his responsible play and his toughness and physicality. I love the fact that I got him and Gallagher on the same team, and I think they would drive opposition players crazy if i put them on the same line and i'd love to see that and i'll i'll stick with the top of the draft and and guys that uh you know are are available a a center like ryan johansson is hard to hard to replace uh fourth overall pick by columbus he's obviously with 
the Predators now, but again, another top point producer, over 400 points in his career. Uh, and yes, again, a little bit of a down year. So Skinner and Johansson kind of fall, flying under the radar for me here uh, based on this season's kind of slump. But I think overall, these are just dips in the road for these two guys. Yeah, and uh, we're getting a little thin in terms of high-end offensive players, but I still think there's a few top sixers. And so Eunice Donskoy was picked by Florida in the fourth round, 99th overall, and I'll grab him and be happy to do so with my ninth pick. You've got one more to go, AJ. Make it a good one, buddy. Yeah, you know, there's there's plenty of uh, plenty of top candidates here, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with forwards. Uh, at this point, just because you know I have the the two blue liners, the netminder, um, and so who tough choices here. I think I will go. Uh, you know what? I'll go with another uh, now penguin, uh, Jason Zucker. I, I, another speed guy that's really fast that I would love to have uh, paired up on a, on a line with the likes of you know uh, maybe you have Skinner on one side, Johansson on the other, and then Jason Zucker. Uh, to kind of fill that out so again uh, uh, another kind of compliment guy uh, to build out some solid lines and AJ I'm going to finish this draft with a pick of a, a mean player to play a tough guy to play against and the guy that rounds up my defensive compliment Radko Gudis is my final pick a minute eater is always a guy you look for on the back end and when you got the toughness as well as some scoring upside there I'm happy to get him with my last picker of overall uh, folks, we're going to try and do uh, a mock draft of, of uh, future drafts going forward. We'd love to hear your suggestions about whether you want us to focus on a particular year over others. So please feel free to send us your suggestions in that regard. But AJ, this was a neat opportunity today to, to take us through a couple of things that I think we can run with for a few weeks. And I uh, was pretty pleased with the output. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to, uh, you know, uh, we kind of ran through names pretty quickly. So maybe uh, you and I can tweet out our, our line combinations uh, later today in, in terms of uh, the players that we selected here. And I will say, Paul, I, I think we're we're both uh, equally showing our, our age uh, in these picks. You know, you tended uh, t- towards more of the, the tougher uh, physical players while I favored uh, speed, you know, and kind of the, the game that we watched and grew up with. So, um, you know, not to not to call you old. Look at him bury me, uh, folks. Oh boy! But, uh, <laughs> I, I do think it it, it showed uh, a little bit of kind of the the type of game that we grew up watching, and uh, we took players accordingly. I think that's a fair comment. Uh, if it was a, ba- a bit of a backhanded swipe, I'll let it go for this week. <laughs> so, AJ, we had a lot of fun with it. We hope our listeners enjoyed it, too. That's a fine place for us to stop, and it wraps up this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode is scheduled to take place a week from now. We're going to follow up with another division uh, of players eligible and protected for the upcoming Seattle draft and another draft year, and we'll come up with other topics that uh, could fill in the blanks uh, going forward. So uh, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Have a good week. Re-